Hey, Chloe. Hey, Ralph. Nice to talk to you again. Yeah, nice to talk to you again as, as well. I always enjoy our conversations. Let's, uh, yes. shall we talk about education today? Let's talk about education. I think uh, it's a topic that you and I are extremely passionate about. Um, I'll say. So, yeah, <laughs> just that's probably not really doing it justice, isn't it? Uh, more than passionate about. So, yeah, I'd love to talk about education. So, what do we what do we want to talk about about education? What what's, what what well, what needs well, correction? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, when I think about you know our mission of creating critical thinkers, yeah. Do we think that most education, and particularly if we zoom in on education within the movement and, you know, Pilates realm, is, is that a focus? Is that, is that a nurturing aspect of it? Um, uh, yeah, I, would, I wouldn't mind talking around. I, I think, you know, I, I think we do a really great job of, of nurturing critical thinkers. So maybe if we unpack that a little bit, you know, like what is critical thinker and why is it important and, and you know, what can we do from an educational perspective as educational leaders to help, to help nurture that really? Well, I think, um, yeah, I'd, I'd like to just start by saying that, you know, I think in the Pilates world in particular, like my observation is that the majority of people are fanatical kind of um, about seeking out, edu- you know, ongoing education after they uh, certify and that people do a heck of a lot of workshops and short courses and things. Um, but that, you know, the vast majority, I'd say probably just about all of it, is with is learning, a, fits into the category of learning about stuff you already know to be true. You know, never into the category of challenging your preconceived notions about things and maybe mm. learning a different, you know, or better way of thinking, you know, more effective way of thinking about a problem. Um, so, mm. you know, we have 101, you know, workshops on, you know, how to use a mini stability ball in your workout. Um, mm. Or, mm. And that I can't use, I can't use the the fitness circle until I've done a course on how to use the fitness circle. Right. Yeah. And 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 then there are there are uh, um, one hundred and one variations of postural workshops as well. Whether that's talking about myofascial slings or anatomy trains mm. or posture or mm. you know specific exercises for posture types or you know whatever. Like there there are one hundred and one variations of that, and so they all again fall into the category of like okay, here's something we all like unanimously agree to be true, and then we just learn more about that um, rather than <laughs> right. Yeah, rather than looking at like, okay, well, what is the science on posture or myofascial slings yeah. or does it adding a mini yeah. stability ball actually do anything, you know, like, um, yeah. So, yeah. I, so I guess that's, I guess that's where the critical thinking comes in because critical thinking, you know, I think one critical aspect of critical thinking is, is questioning your own beliefs and being open to, yeah. to diverse viewpoints that are radically different to your own. And that doesn't mean unquestioningly accepting, you know, radically different information. It just means like being open to hearing it and, mm. and then evaluating it, you know, 
And I don't think that mm. really happens much or at all in uh, in the Pilates world in in education. Mm. I um I I I want to loop back to um oh, the message I think I sent you on. Saturday after I'd um, just delivered our two uh, diploma tutorials and, and you know, the focus that day had been on research skills. So, you know, how to decipher the hierarchy of, of research to know what is good quality research, you know, how to, to read that, how to decipher it, how to know when there's not a specific <laughs> and just, you know, general exercise, et cetera, would be a good outcome. And just seeing that real light bulb moment um, for our students where it's like, wow, I've got the ability to seek out something I want to learn more about myself. I don't have to necessarily go and do a course about, you know, what is the best exercise intervention for X, Y, Z. If I know how to, you know, look at research, if I know how to use critical reasoning skills, I can, I got the, you know, I got the magic in my hand. I can do this myself. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's a really valuable skill and, uh, I also, you know, and I obviously I'm a big fan of doing that myself, but I also, I also subscribe to a bunch of research reviews where other people have already done the hard work for me. You know, like they, there are, you know, people, I think there's a real, real place for paying someone else to go and read all the research and summarize it as long, as long as you trust them to summarize it, you know, impartially, um, you know. Absolutely. And that's why I love following Lars Ave Marie and I love being part of the Better Clinician Project with Ben Cormack and Adam Meekins and love following, you know, all this, the work that Greg Lehman puts out. And, you know, it's absolutely just continually digesting uh, good quality information and research that's being put out there. And I love that all of those guys they, 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 they put it in ways that I can understand it as well. Like they, you know, they exactly right. They kind of, you know, make it easily digestible, mm. which is great. Um, I think that the, you know, the fundamental problem in Pilates with education is that we, you know, by and large as an industry define ourselves uh, as a very narrow set of modalities you know like we you know mm. what we we are people who use a specific set of exercises to correct mm. postural imbalances mm. you know blah 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 whatever you know whatever the specific things are like stay in your lane kind yeah of thing. yeah and so and so what do we want to learn about what well, we want to learn about more we'll have more about how to do that um yeah. but the uh, a much you know scarier uh, but but very important way to uh, to to go about uh, educating is to actually go well. Is that actually the best way to help people? You know, because like, aren't we all in this business to help people? You know, mm. isn't that why we isn't that why you became a Pilates instructor in the first place? Because you want to help people, and mm. and if 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 helping people is truly your motivation, which I believe for the vast majority of people it is, mm. you know, well, well, wouldn't you want to help them in the most helpful way possible? You know, wouldn't you want to give them the best possible, you know, help? 
And 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 in order to do that, like, would you be willing to let go of some of those cherished beliefs if it meant actually giving your clients better results, better, you know, mm. better health, <laughs> you know, more empowerment, more happiness, um, mm. less pain, um, mm. you know? And so, you know, would we be prepared to examine some of those foundational assumptions like, is giving specific exercises to address muscle imbalances actually a useful thing to do or are there or are there more useful mm. things that we could do, you know, with the hour that we have with somebody? Mm. Mm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I I mean I I mean I'm I'm passionate about the Pilates exercises. Like actually, you know, the controllogy exercises. Yeah. I actually I love them. I I think the you know, I love moving through them. I, I love all that. In regards to, um, you know, a, a applying <laughs> different theories around, you know, how we're going to best best help clients, et cetera, well, that, that's really self, self-limiting self and caging, isn't it, yeah. to, to stick to, well, it must just be this Pilates realm. And, you know, I'll liken it to uh, when I – took myself off to, um, you know, Adam Meekins, who is, you know, you and I um, are big fans of, of Meeks, aren't we? Yeah, right? as, as we call him, Adam fucking Meekins. <laughs> Adam fucking Meekins. <laughs> Loves a swear word. And um, he's, so he's a physio. For those that don't know, he's a physio from an evident, very, you know, passionate evidence-based physio from the UK. Um, he's got a particular interest in shoulders, does a shoulder shoulder course. And, um, awesome shoulder course, to, by the way. Awesome shoulder course, highly recommend. And now that everything's gone online, the world's online, you can do Meeks' shoulder mm. course. Complex doesn't have to be complicated. I mean, what a better name is that? Um, you can do it online now, which is just so cool. But anyway, before the pandemic hit and he was coming to Australia, I went to his course and I didn't know anyone. I took myself off by myself. You know, the Pilates instructor walked into, I would say, a room of 95% male physios. <laughs> There's me in my in my Pilates active where like, okay, I'm feeling a little out of place, sat myself down and, you know, immersed myself in the learning experience. Um, and, you know, there were some words I didn't know. Well, what do I do? I just turned to the guy next to me. It was a physio. I said, what does that word mean? You know, there's no harm to my ego in asking that. Um, and there was never, I was never felt it made to feel in that day, including in the lunch break where I was talking with everyone, like, whoa, what are you, what are you doing here? You're a, you're a Pilates instructor. Get, yeah. get back in, get back in your lane. You know, it was like, wow, this is so cool that you're here and that you're open to learning this. I'm like, hell yeah, I'm all for this. Mm -hmm. So um, I think sometimes too maybe when we're talking about this and if we are talking about, you know, in this sense now, a continued education yeah, um, and a continued education that is outside of staying in our bubble and caging us into our bubble, then you just kind of got to be a bit brave as well. And I tell you what, being brave has really opened up a world of a world of education for me and critical thinking. Um, and props to you, Ruff, again, I say this a lot, but you did expose me to that and you did introduce me to, for want of a better word, the pain science crew. Yeah. And, and you know, now I've been to Adam's course and I've been to Ben's course and I've been to Greg Lehman's course and through going to those courses that are not necessarily within my lane, whatever that might be, 
whatever you want, you know, maybe they are in my lane. Do you know what I mean? But through that, then I've just, I've made an awesome network of, uh, you know, a broader health scope network um, that continues to challenge, to challenge my, Mm. my, you know, my knowledge. Well, when it comes to staying in your lane, you know, I want to talk about that for a moment because I think that's a, you know, there's a problem with that um, in some contexts. Like, okay, if you're a, uh, you know, a, a jet airliner pilot, yeah, stay in your lane. Like, I, I don't want the- Please stay I don't want, in your lane. Yeah, I don't want the cabin crew flying the plane and the pilot handing out the coffee, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. So in yeah. some, in so, you know, I don't want the surgeon, you know, holding the, the suction machine and the, the orderly, you know, doing the operation- and, and I'm not diagnosed. And when I think about staying in the lane in that sense too, it's like, well, I'm not diagnosing right. my clients. Right. I'm not, you know, like, yeah. So, so, so in some contexts, there's yeah. definitely yeah. A, a really good reason for, for the mentality of, yes, yeah, stick to your knitting. But, mm-hmm. um, but when it comes to musculoskeletal pain, you know, it's not flying a jet airplane. It's not doing surgery. You know, it's, it's much, much lower risk than either of mm. those things uh, for a start. And the second thing is, that it turns out that in musculoskeletal pain, you know, back pain, neck pain, hip pain, whatever, that that you know, research over the last, you know, well, I don't know, go back, go back 150 years when you know physiotherapy was just starting as a profession, you know, yeah. when uh, osteopathy was just being, you know, founded, chiropractic was just being founded. All of these things sort of happened around the kind of the late 19th century. And they're all, you know, founded, well, osteopathy and chiropractic were both founded by a single person, each founded by a single person. Physiotherapy yeah. emerged out of massage therapy in the UK, yeah. um, uh, you know, medical massage therapy, and sort of around the, the First World War is when it kind of morphed into physiotherapy um, because of, like, rehabilitating uh, the returned soldiers, amputees and such. Right. But anyway, we digress. But so all of these, you know, pre- you know, like the osteopathy was founded on, you know, some kind of premise and chiropractic was founded on a different premise and physiotherapy was founded on a different premise. And so, you know, if chiropractors are treating subluca- subluxations and physiotherapists are massaging you and vigorously moving your joints around. Um, and, and then, you know, it wasn't very scientific, any of it really. Um, but then as science has gradually... Um, you know, advanced over the, the preceding century, like, well, we've actually converged on a better understanding of what best practice care looks like, you know, for, mm. for people with pain. Um, and it it turns out that whether you're a physio or an osteo or a chiropractor or, or whatever, like the, you know, best practice care still looks like best practice care. And mm. so it's, 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 it's actually the, the duty of care. It's, the, it's a legal and moral obligation to provide the best you know, the best available current, you know, evidence-based care. And so everybody's care should start to look pretty similar, you know, like if that's, if that's the, you know, if there are a set of things that we know help more than anything else we know, well, everyone really should be doing those things, shouldn't they? You know, Um, Mm -hmm. especially as most of those things require very little skill, like just getting people moving them and reassuring them that they're going to be fine, you know. Mm. Um, And so I think that's where the argument for staying in your lane kind of breaks down because if you're a Pilates instructor or a yoga instructor or a fitness instructor or a Feldenkrais instructor or a physiotherapist or an osteopath, Mm. well, you know, your treatment for your client should look pretty similar, you know, mm, it should look like mm. getting them moving, reassuring them and mm. encouraging them to get back to their normal activities, mm. you know. 
So, so Raph, just for though, and I know that our students are all over this, you know, in, in regards to, to best practice for, you know, persisting musculoskeletal pain. Um, but for those who aren't aware of those guidelines, you, you know, can you go so go a little more into that? Uh, well, reassurance—it's just the national guidelines, right? Yeah. Well, uh, every country, uh, every every major sort of industrialised economy, has a set of national guidelines on uh, best practice for uh, dealing with um, musculoskeletal pain. Um, and so, if you're a doctor in a hospital in a, a cancer unit and someone has pain, or if you're, or if you're a doctor, uh, you know, GP, or if you're a physiotherapist or whatever, you're an ambulance driver, you're someone in the emergency room, someone shows up with back pain. Um, you know, these are the things that you're expected to do. You know, like that's your, it's your legal obligation as a professional to provide, you know, best practice care. Like if you go to the doctor with a sore back and they bleed you and leech you, you know, and give you a coffee enema, they can be like, you know, removed from the, the they can have, lose their medical license, right? Because those yeah, aren't yeah. best practice care. So, yeah. so they have, you know, the doctor has a legal obligation, you know, it's their duty of care as a professional to provide you with the currently accepted best practice care. Um, yeah. And, and that's the same if you go, if you know, if you have a disease, like you have cancer or diabetes or whatever, the doctor can't just give you any old darn thing they want, you know, they have to yeah. choose from an, among a, a small list of, you know, treatments which are known to be the currently best available treatments you know yeah. and 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 they can like there are serious consequences if doctors don't give best practice care to people with life-threatening illnesses you know like that's yeah. that's very serious and and it's it's this morally it's the, and legally it's the same uh if you've got musculoskeletal pain you know if you've got a sore back or sore neck or whatever you know you're, sp you're supposed to receive the best available treatment and that's the that's the legal and moral obligation of every professional and it and and the definition of best practice, you know, is is enshrined in national guidelines that are, you know, updated every mm. three to five years, you know. So. Mm. Mm. So, okay. So we've, we've, we've talked about kind of, you know, how to, you know, how to expand your horizons, so to speak, with, with continued education, et cetera. How do we – what do you think, you know, because I – what do you think is the crux of really inspiring and nurturing critical thinking? Like, how do you, do you know what I mean? If someone's like, what do you, you know, can we go into that a little more? Cause I think that's really the. Um, you know, well, how do you get someone starting to think critically? How do you. Uh, well, I think you have, to, I think it's, you have to start as a consumer of education. You have right. to start from the mentality that, huh, what could I be wrong about? You know, like uh, I might be yeah. wrong about what stuff. What could I be wrong about? You know, like yeah. I can't remember who asked it. There was a great, might have been a TED talk I saw sometime or something, but basically the person asked, you know, what does it feel like to be wrong? You know, and everyone was like, oh, it feels embarrassing. It feels shameful. It feels, yeah. you know, frustrating. It feels annoying, you know. And then the answer was like, no, it doesn't. That's not what it feels like. That's what it feels like to learn that you were wrong. Right? right when when you're wrong, it feels like being right. You know, right. you confidently make the wrong decision, right? Yeah. <laughs> and and yeah. so when you're wrong, it doesn't feel like being wrong until someone points it out to you. <laughs> yeah. So actually, what we hate is is that having you know being pointed out to us either by another person or by the universe. But but being wrong 
you know, we don't have an intuition about it. You know, we have we we. It's been shown repeatedly that we don't have an intuition about it. So we have to we have to take the you know have to take on. But we have to become like mentally. We have to have the mental humility, you know, mm. to understand that even though I'm a hundred percent certain I'm right about it, I actually could be wrong. Because mm. just because yeah. I feel a hundred percent certain, you know doesn't mean I'm correct. You know, doctors for hundreds of years were 100% certain that applying bloodletting was a great, mm. you know, cure for a lot of diseases. And they knew it. They knew it was true, right? Mm. But it wasn't true. Mm. So, yeah, so I think we have to take that um, attitude. And then the second thing I think as a consumer is to see, is to critically evaluate, to start to critically evaluate the the sources of information that you know when you're going to going to look at some education to look at you know I, I if I go to read some education to look read, look at some education now I always read the the you know read the packet read the blurb yeah um, and I'm looking for words like science based um, I'm looking for words like you know current research um, mm. you know things like that. Um, mm. Because science, science-based, you know, there are a lot of outdated um, courses, et cetera, out there that use the tagline science-based. Yeah. So you've got you to, gotta, you know, d- scratch a little little deeper of the surface, I think, too. When, when you see that, don't automatically think, you know, I'm not, I'm, I'm not here to name and shame. I'm not going to, you know, name. <laughs> but I could, I could name you at least five courses out there at the moment that use the tagline science yes. based yes. that sure it might have been science but it was science of the 90s yes right so i think um i do believe that pilates instructors and just human beings in general do kind of get suckered into that a little yes. too when they say science based so you got to scratch deeper mm. and how do you, how do you go about scratching deeper chloe Ooh, well that's a toughie i think i think for me you know i am I, uh, for me, in in regards to continuing education, um, I would go with, you know, those those people like the the Lehmans and the Meekins and the Cormacs and the etc. Who are, I can see them on the daily putting out the latest reviews on the latest evidence that's coming their way. You know, it's like 2020, you know, it's, it's really there. So, I mean, I guess scratching a little deeper, well, what are they like, what are they showing on their social media? Uh, What are they talking about in their blogs? Um, Yeah. You you know, like look up some blog posts. Yeah. That's helpful. The other thing is I would like when I look for, like when I read in the, the blurbs or whatever, like I, I don't just look for the word science-based, but I look for like words like, you know, based on recent systematic reviews or, you know, Ooh, more more, yeah, more specific language. Um, actually, yeah. I was looking at a course, you know, there was a course that popped up in my Facebook feed or something like that. It was some kind of shoulder course um, and it was a physiotherapist, you know, titled physiotherapist from the UK giving this shoulder course. It was like 40 hours online. It was like, you know, pretty comprehensive. Um, it was from like my physio tutors or something like that. I can't remember which exact brand it was, but it was one of those kind of physio network or something like that. Yeah. And it was, they were like a semi-trusted brand to me, but, and I looked at the lady and, and I looked up her 
bio and she's a clinician and then I looked, you know, and I, I just couldn't be confident that what I would get would be actual current <laughs> evidence-based. Yes. And, and I was like, oh, this looks like a great course and I'd really like to know what you've got to say, but I can't pull the trigger because I don't trust that you're going to give me, you know, reliable information. Um, so, uh-huh. yeah. Uh-huh. And I mean, I could tell the story of an exercise phys friend of mine who signed up for uh, some Pilates teacher training, obviously not with us, which is like, why? That was his first mistake. But anyway, um, we'll put that aside. Signed up for some Pilates teacher training and get this, he got the, he got the, the, the workbook, you know, prior to the, the face-to-face component. This was pre-COVID and took one look at the workbook and didn't go to the course. Mm. Because he was like, this will, this is so out of date. This will waste my time. I think, yeah. I think what you want is, you know, I mean, we we all should be truly agnostic. You know, we could should try and cultivate an attitude of being agnostic about, you know, what works best, and and not being attached yeah. to it being, you know, any one way being better than any other way. You know, like, and and we should because we should just want to give our clients the best help. You know, and so we mm-hmm. should just be keen to learn whatever that whatever best is. We should mm. be keen to learn that, you know. Mm. Um, and so I, I guess I would steer away from anything, any things that would have have like a warning buzzer for me would be things that are based on a specific modality, a yep. specific you know proprietary method um, yep. that gives you some kind of you know three point checklist to solve all of the world's problems. Yeah. Because um, such a thing doesn't exist. Yeah. Um, or that things that just assume that a certain way of doing things works the best, and then the only questions they're asking is, what's what are some cool ways of doing the thing we already agree is the best thing? You know, mm. like 101 ways to use a fitness circle in the, you know, Pilates mat work or something like that. Which yeah. is not there's nothing wrong with learning how to use a fitness circle and getting some cool ideas. I mean, you can do that on YouTube yeah. really if you want, but. Yeah, to- like, by all means, if you want to get some extra repertoire, sure, that, absolutely, yeah. Um, um, yeah, and I, I think I want to like shift gear just for a couple of minutes um, before we wrap up on yeah. like I think, you know, just the – so that, you know, we've talked a lot about the kind of fundamental premise of education and it being kind yeah. of a, a, limit, a limited – uh, kind of closed belief system, I think, a lot within Pilates where we don't really question the, the underlying assumptions that we're working on and we everything's kind of within the comfort zones. Like I want to learn a lot more about something that's already within my comfort zone. You know, yeah. I, I don't want to, I don't want to go outside my comfort bubble. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, but I think even, even, you know, separate to that, like separate to the content and the, and the critical thinking, I think there's a lot of actual, problem with just the way that education is delivered and and consumed in Pilates. Like we have like such um, outdated, non-evidence-based ways of thinking about teaching and learning, um, uh-huh. the pedagogy. Actually, uh, pedagogy is uh, kids. So I think it's called andragogy, which is adults. Oh, yeah. Okay. Anyway, like who cares, right? But right. Um, <laughs> Uh, so when you read books about education, about, you know, primary school children, they talk, talk about pedagogy. Um, yes, they do. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, so that like there, are, you know, some examples are this myth, um, of, you know, which is just like 
totally widely accepted as utter fact of these learning styles. Like I'm a visual learner, uh-huh. I'm an auditory learner, I'm a kinesthetic learner. And the thing I get mm-hmm. from Pilates people all the time is oh, I'm a visual and kinesthetic learner, you know, so I need to feel a thing and see it. It's like, yeah, mm. everyone does. You know, like that's, that's yeah. not a special learning style. That's just yeah. called being a human. Um, yeah. And so there's heaps so, of so research been, on that. And it's been debunked, hasn't it? Yes, so, it's so been you debunked. Guys are, it, this is still re- really widely accepted yeah, that, that yeah. you are, you know, you fall into one of those categories yeah, of how yeah. you learn best. But like many things, when more research becomes available, that also has fallen by, you know, it's, it's, it, it doesn't stand up. In right. court of law, <laughs> right? You know, there was a um, there was a paper in 2019, which I've actually got in front of me now, called "Another Nail in the Coffin of Learning Styles: Disparities Among yeah, Undergraduate right. Anatomy Students' Study Strategies, Class Performance, and Reported Visual Analog." Uh, kinesthetic or whatever learning styles um, and so anyway basically this has been studied a fair bit um, and it turns out that there are many ways that you can enhance someone's learning by the design of your teaching um, but using learning styles is not one of them it's just not a real thing not a thing so yeah, yeah. which really surprised the heck out of me when I first learned it but you know what I was like oh that's interesting great don't have to worry about that anymore Absolutely. And um, we, you know, you got us onto a really amazing um, book called Visible Learning, which is, you know, a synthesis of over 800 meta-analysis relating to achievement. Yeah, in education. Um, Like (laughs) in education, you know, it's like reveals teaching's holy grail. And for me, there were so many light bulb moments in that, even just down to, you know, students learn just as well from feedback from their teacher as they do from their peers. Right. Like so it's, all it's you need is feedback. In, yeah. All you need, you need feedback. Yeah. And and we, we learn really well from feedback, but it doesn't have to come from me as their teacher. Right. You know. And it, it doesn't have to be visual or kinesthetic or. No, you know, no. Yeah. It just no. has to be. Yeah, it has to be timely. And there are, so there are definitely things that we can do as teachers and as course designers to massively enhance people's learning. Um, Absolutely. um, But yeah, like learning styles is just turns out to be not one of them. Um, Some of the things are though, like, you know, what, what, what are some of your like big, you know, I mean, you know, you and I both know the same things from this book because we've both read it, but yeah, what, so let's talk about a couple of the top, top line items really quickly. Yeah. Well, learning outcomes need to be super duper clear. So, you, you know, what the students are doing in that session needs to be extremely clear to them. They then need to demonstrate that. It then needs to be reiterated by by the teacher or the peer that they have, in fact, demonstrated yeah, the thing. They I, have done I the thing. They have the achieved. Thing, yeah. I've seen you do the thing. Therefore, you know how to do the thing. Um, and this all seems so simple, but it is so extremely effective. Yeah. Um, that every student is entitled to a steep learning curve. Yeah, I think you know, to me like, that's, like, the, that's the biggest one. Like, um, You don't have to be naturally gifted. This no. is not about, you know, Joe Blow coming in who's naturally gifted at the thing. No, this is, hey, I expect high standards of you. I also, you know, you are entitled to a steep learning curve, but I'm going to ask you to rise to these yeah, standards. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I'm going to be there to support you along the way and I'm going to expect you to get there. Yeah. And you get there, you know. It's, 
I think I'd like I'd like to finish just by talking about that for a minute because I think yeah. that you know to me is like the underpinning one of everything um, mm. that you know every student deserves a steep learning curve and I think if you know if you could take one thing away from every you know one of those eight hundred meta analyses on education yeah. it would be just that one thing that yeah. because if the it's a self fulfilling prophecy if the teacher mm. doesn't believe that the student is capable of learning the teacher doesn't give the student the opportunity to learn. It's been shown repeatedly mm. that when teachers don't have, uh, you know, confidence in their students' ability to learn, they give them less challenging work. They don't give them good quality feedback. They give them less attention. Yeah. And then guess what? The students don't learn as well. And the student, the teachers go, yeah. see, I knew they weren't going to learn anything. I, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Self-fulfilling yeah, prophecy. Self-fulfilling yeah. prophecy. So number one, you know, do not pass go, do not collect $200. You must mm. assume that everybody has the capacity to learn, you know, rapidly mm -hmm. and significantly. Mm -hmm. And as a learner, you must have that, you know, it's a prerequisite to learning. Like if you walk in to some kind of education scenario or even worse, if you avoid certain education scenarios because of some kind of self-limiting belief, like I'm not good at learning, you know, because I'm a visual learner, I can't learn online or because I'm yeah. a kinesthetic learner, you know, I have to do the thing before I can, you know, give myself permission to to believe that mm -hmm. I've learned it. You know, mm -hmm. like if you have those beliefs, you've got to mm -hmm. start working on those right now because those those mm -hmm. things are holding you back. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So absolutely. Yeah. And and I absolutely. think as a teacher, you know, the instant that you that you find yourself you know, echoing any of those beliefs, like, oh, so-and-so is a visual learner, so she won't get this. It's like, uh, you can't teach that person. Like, you've got no. nothing to offer that person, you know, send them to a different class. <laughs> Don't take their money. Like, you can't mm -hmm. help them, you know. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, you've got to hold people to a high standard um, and you've got to believe that they're capable of achieving it. Mm-hmm. I, um, I love uh, I'm just, I've got visible learning in front of me and um, I just love the, the this little bit where they, the conclusions are recast here as six signposts towards excellence in education. Um, you know, the first one, teachers are amongst the most powerful influences in learning. Teachers need to be directive, influential, caring and actively engaged in the passion of teaching and learning. Mm. You, you know, you've got to, you've got to be passionate Um I could, you know, I could keep mm, going on, mm. but you've got to, you've got to really, you know, it, you, you, you've got to be passionate. You've got to be invested in, in each of your students and, you know, um, totally believe in them. And you've got to have clear learning outcomes and you've got to make those to have, clear to the students at the start. And then you've got absolutely. to deliver on those learning outcomes and you've got to point it out to the students. Hey, I just saw you do those learning outcomes. And then at the end of the class, you go, you know what? These are the learning outcomes we worked on today. Do you remember that? And then you give everyone a high five and say, you're awesome. See you next time. Exactly. Exactly. Because they literally are awesome. Mm. Uh, I'm continuously blown away, blown away by by our students. Wouldn't um, it be great yeah. if if uh, educators in the Pilates world and probably everywhere else actually uh, educated themselves on educating people? Yeah. Wouldn't that be awesome? You'd you you'd think that'd be important, yeah. Like 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 learning about how to enhance motor learning, you know, for Pilates yeah. teachers when Pilates teachers teach 
people movement. Well, if you want to you know, teach people, it, <laughs> yeah, if you want to teach people Pilates, you probably need two things. You need to know Pilates, and you need to know how to teach. Uh, yeah, yeah, so. it's so true. Yeah, and that would be a topic for another day. We're definitely going to delve into motor learning. Yeah. All right. So I would just say. Uh, if you're looking for a course and you're looking anywhere and it says anything about learning, visual learning styles, run a mile. Run a mile. It's outdated. Yep. Uh-huh. It ain't science. No. It's not up to date. Yeah. And it's not going to help you learn better. <laughs> and, you know, and, and, and if it just says like 101 ways to do this thing that you're already super comfortable with emotionally and intellectually, like also probably give it a miss and look for something that's a bit more challenging. And I don't necessarily mean like – uh, you know, something that's like way outside your interest, but something that is, uh, you know, going to, is open to questioning the fundamental paradigms of, of, you know, the way you operate. Back, Absolutely. Backed by science, backed by science though, not just some wacky person howling at the moon. Yes. And, and, you know, if you want any suggestions, feel free to reach out to myself or Raph. Um, Anytime. And the cool thing is, like, you can actually go and study with these, like, super awesome people with freaking PhDs, you know, mm. the actual researchers doing the research that they're presenting. Mm. You know, you can go and study mm. with these people for about the same price as doing 101 ways to use a freaking Pilates uh, mini ball, you know? Exactly. It'll, it'll really, it'll blow your mind. And being surrounded by incredible critical thinkers will expand Next your level. own capacity to, to, to think critically and, and yeah, mm. well work, you know, in your, in your realm as well. So yeah. Great. Good chat. Good chat, Raf. See ya. I look forward to our next one. Bye. After two exercise science degrees and over a decade and a half of reading research daily, I've condensed all the current science on rehab into a program called the Clinical Exercise Specialist Rehabilitation. Inside the program, I'll teach you to do three things. One, deeply understand how the body works. Two, confidently and expertly rehab literally any client. And three, get results for your clients. So ultimately, your clients tell their friends and you become known as the go-to expert in your area. This program is completely unlike any education you've done before, even if you've studied with us before, because of the way we've built the learning design. It's an online, flexible, skill-based learning program, which means you keep doing the skills under supervision until you're good at them. It's more of a mentorship model than a traditional course model. So Rather than rushing through the content and having sort of one go at everything, you actually just practice live and we give you feedback and guidance and we dialogue and explore concepts together until you're highly skilled and confident. We just keep working the material until you get it. It's not rushed at all. It's not about ticking off the content. It's about engaging, practicing and applying it until you own it. This is a life-changing program, not some weekend certification. I've put my heart and soul into building this, and I can't wait to share it with you and help you discover your genius for anatomy and rehab. Now, because of the highly interactive nature of this program, we're only taking on 12 students worldwide. The program starts on March the 1st, and the first 
12 qualified people to apply will be allowed to enroll. So if you're interested in learning more, click the link in the show notes and download the course guide or go to breathe-education.com and click on the clinical certification menu in our uh, link in the top menu. That's breathe-education.com and click on the clinical certification link in the top menu.